Would you open your Bibles to Psalm 37? Psalm 37, and I've titled uh, the sermon this morning, How to Live a Full and Abundant Life, Stand on God's Faithfulness. It's an acrostic where every line of the, every verse uh, moves in corresponding order of the Hebrew alphabet. We'll be looking at uh, nine verses today, but let me read the entire psalm to you for context as we've been doing these past few Sundays. Psalm 37 of David, do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward doers of unrighteousness, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in Yahweh and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in Yahweh and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Yahweh. Trust in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Be still in Yahweh and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out schemes of wickedness. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing, for evildoers will be cut off. But those who hope for Yahweh, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. You will look carefully at his place, and he will not be there. But the lowly will inherit the land, and will delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked schemes against the righteous, and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked, for the arms of the wicked will be broken. But Yahweh sustains the righteous." Yahweh knows the day of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil. In the days of famine they will be satisfied, but the wicked will perish, and the enemies of Yahweh will be like the glory of the pastures. They they vanish in smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land but those cursed by him will be cut off. The footsteps of a man are established by Yahweh, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because Yahweh is the one who sustains his hand. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his seed is a blessing. Depart from evil and do good, so you will dwell forever For Yahweh loves justice and will not forsake His holy ones. They are kept forever, but the seed of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to put him to death. Yahweh will not forsake him in his hand. He will not condemn him when he is judged. Hope for Yahweh and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. 
Then he passed away, and behold, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Observe the blameless man, and behold the upright. For the man of peace will have a posterity, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh. He is their strength in time of distress. Yahweh helps them and protects them. He protects them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Where are the faithful these days? Are they hiding in a cave somewhere in South America? Are they, are they on top of the mountain in the Himalayas? Where are the faithful? I had a classmate in seminary years ago. If you had met him and gotten to know him for a little while, you would say, George, he's right here. It's not a nation. A nation needs real estate, lots of land, lots of people. So God gives more details to Abraham about what this promise to, to, to him and his, and his descendants and this nation Israel will be like in Genesis 13. This is what he says to Abraham in Genesis 13, 14 through 17. Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and, and westward for all the land which you see. I will give it to you and your seed forever. I will make your seed as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your seed can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, breadth for I will give it to you. Elsewhere in the scripture, God makes clear that every other promise God made to Israel in Genesis 12 will be finally fulfilled when Israel receives this land in perfect peace. Israel doesn't have their land today. Israel shares its land with people who hate them. There is no peace in Israel. The land they own is contested every which way they turn. But we believe here that the promise made to Abraham to make Israel into a great nation remains to be fulfilled in the future. And when Israel receives all of their land, when Israel turns to Christ by faith, Scripture says that that, that, that is also when God will fulfill every other promise He's ever made to all of His people in the Bible. God's plan of salvation finds its final fulfillment when Israel receives the entire land of Israel in perfect peace. And so receiving the land in that sense is, a, in, a, in a sense, is the culmination of all that God has promised in the Bible. So when David writes in verse 22, for those blessed by him will inherit the land, it implies that all of God's promises in Scripture will be, fulfilled, will be perfectly and finally fulfilled in the future. See, when, when Israel heard that phrase, inheriting the land, they would immediately remember the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12. And they would, re, they would be reminded, most of all, that God is faithful. And although we don't see every promise of God fulfilled to us today, He will give us everything He's promised in the Bible when He gives the land of Israel to Israel. And so the phrase, inherit the land, is a declaration of the perfect faithfulness of God to His people for every promise He has made in Scripture. 
Why are the righteous gracious? In verse 21, why did they give? Because they've been blessed by him to inherit the land. They've been made rich in Abraham. They've been made rich in the Abrahamic covenant. Because this first this first line of verse 22, because it is a promise of self, final salvation individually, nationally, because they have been given and promised so much physical and spiritual blessing by the grace of God, they can be gracious and they can give. And when you and I when we believe in the gospel, when we believe that Jesus died for our sins in order to forgive us, to give us eternal life, to give us a new heart, to give us the indwelling spirit, to give us heaven forever without pain and suffering, God's grace given freely in the gospel will turn us into gracious people. Because we've been given so much. God's love for you in the gospel makes you a loving person. If you know and love a faithful God, you will always be a faithful believer. In verse 22, those first finding will be cut off. Those who reject the grace of God will ensure they never see the land. And their cursedness marks the way they treat others. Verse 22 is not a promise of a perfect life here and now. It, it, is, a, it, is, it is a promise of a perfect life in the future when Jesus returns. What is promised to God's people here and now is verse 23 and 24. We don't get verse 22 today. We get 23 and 24 today. We get the faithfulness of God in, in, a, in a fallen earth, in fallen bodies. That's what we get. Where, where do you go? Where, where do you go to find somebody perfect in faithfulness? Well, we go to his word as much as we can to be reminded that God is faithful because when we don't, sometimes we can misinterpret our circumstances. Sometimes we can make the mistake of trying to read between the lines of daily struggles in order to discern the faithfulness of God. And when good things happen to us, we say, okay, I guess this God is pretty faithful. But when bad things uh, uh, happen upon us, we say, well, this God isn't that faithful to me. Verse 23 and 24 remind us of the faithfulness of God. The verses say, the footsteps of the man are established by Yahweh, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because Yahweh is the one who sustains his hand. In verse 23, David says that, 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 that God is sovereign over your life. That your footsteps, they're established by Yahweh. And then it says that God is pleased that when, in whatever life circumstances God throws your way, whatever God's sovereignty has determined for, for you to have, when you walk in obedience to his word, he delights in your way, he delights in your life. Proverbs 61 says that the plan of the, the plan of the heart belongs to man, but the answer of the tongue is from Yahweh. Yes, we should plan out our lives wisely, we should know that it is God alone who determines whether our plans succeed or whether they fail. Proverbs 69 says, The heart of man plans his way, but Yahweh directs his steps. 
Sometimes God will overrule your plans in order to fulfill his purposes. Sometimes uh, his purposes don't feel very good. Proverbs 20, 24 says, The steps of the man are from Yahweh. How then can man understand his way? Yes, we must be wise about planning our life, but God's sovereignty plays such a role in how you live that rather than living according to all your expectation, expectations, God wants you to walk in faith and obedience to His Word in whatever kind of life His sovereign pleasure has determined for you. I love watching my two little boys walk, especially when they first started walking, right? It was so, such a delight to kind of see them kind of toddle from, to the, from the, the, the couch to the, to the chair. Or, or when I remember Paul walking down the, uh, the stairs for the first time, and we all gathered around, my mother and dad and my wife, and we were like, look, he's, he's walking down the steps. And he was so excited. Even today, my, my youngest boy who's getting close to three, I delight, I delight when I see him walking down, down the steps or walking down our little porch steps. And, 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 and now, he's, when, when he's in stores, he, he, when he sees his own shadow, he just can't handle it. He's like, who, who is this little, this dark figure following me? And I have to think about it. And, and God is the same way when we walk in obedience to his will in the circumstances he sovereignly uh, puts in your way. Like a father who delights in their little children walk for the first time. What God wants most from us isn't fighting against his, his sovereign will. He doesn't want our anger for not getting what we want or, or, or telling him with a, a clenched fist in our hearts, God, why did you make my life so hard? Why did you allow this to me? No, he wants you to trust him with all of your heart. He wants you to obey his word with all your strength, no matter what, no matter what God throws at you. He says it's this kind of life of faith that, that he delights in. But you some of us think, well, what if I fall? What if I what if I don't make it? What if I fall into sin? What if I get stuck? What happens when my enemies win? I am, I am on the ground. David said in verse 24, you can get to where you need to go because God is faithful. Verse 24, when he falls, he will not be hurled headlong. Don't be afraid because Yahweh is the one who sustains his hand. Verse 24 begins not with if he falls, but when he falls. This is not a matter of if you fall, but when you fall. Disasters are going to come. Reverses are going to put you on your back. You may be like Job, stripped of everything. You may be like Joseph, put into prison. You may, you may be like Jonah, cast into deep for your disobedience. But David says, we will not be hurled headlong. In other words, you may fall, you may get cut, but you won't break your face. When a true believer falls, he doesn't stay there forever. A true believer, sooner or later, he gets back up. She gets back up. She resumes trusting and obeying the Lord. And it's not because we're strong. It's because God is strong. 
is because of his faithfulness that he, he, he picks us up from our feet. Verse 24. Yahweh is the one who sustains his hand. Well, Psalm 145, 14 says, Yahweh sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. God sustains us externally in our events, and he sustains us internally in our devotion to Christ. Because when God regenerates a believer through faith in the gospel, he also begins that, that this process of making the Christian mature and holy. And he does it through the, the Holy Spirit who, who never stops working in you until you are glorified in heaven. And, and theologians call this, this truth perseverance. Perseverance. Uh, Louis Burkhoff defines perseverance this way. It is that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer by which the work of divine grace that has begun in the heart is continued and brought to completion. It is because God never forsakes his word that believers continue to stand in the very end. When God saves somebody, you can never be lost. A, a true believer will never fall away from the Lord permanently. If you fall, if you stray, God will pick you back up. He will go rescue you like a strange sheep. Listen to the Lord Jesus in John 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, ever, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Did you hear that? Jesus is holding your hand, and the Father is holding your hand, and when they hold your hand, nobody can take them away from you. No one can take you away from the Father and the Son. I have, I have two kids, and once in a while, the youngest one, he, he, he had, we, we bought some a couple times. I'm not going to say who. <laughs> but when my son has my hand in the crowd, he's not being lost. Says, I'm holding your hand, my father is holding your hand, and we're not going to lose it. Yes, the righteous may fall, but because the righteous always sooner or late, later repent and trust God and walk with him, every sin a believer commits is forgiven, and he is restored eventually. David was no stranger to falling. He was at the mountaintop of devotion and obedience, and he fell to the very bottom, to the base of the mountain. And he would have never, he says, I would have never recovered from my heinous sin unless God did not pick me up. It would have never happened. David is saying at the end of his life, you know, I am writing this psalm, and I'm telling you I'm here not because I was strong, because I was faithful, but because it was God who sustained me. It was because God, he held my hand this whole time. Charles Spurgeon said that the believer, like a man on a ship, may fall again and again on his deck, but he will never fall overboard. David continues his description of God's faithfulness in verses 25 and 26. I was young, and now I am old. 
You know, I've not seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and the seed is a blessing. He's not saying that he's never seen the righteous struggle. He's saying he's never seen the righteous forsaken. He's never seen them struggle in a way in a way where it was apparent that God had abandoned a believer. Never. He's never seen that. That in the struggle, that in the pain, in the trials, he's always seen and witnessed the faithfulness of God to his people. He says, I've never seen his children begging for bread. A lot of times we, when we, when we struggle with a particular issue in our life, a particular problem, we forget that we're eating cereal as we're lamenting about God's unfaithfulness. We, we forget as we're angry about God for some issue as we're as we're stuck in our face with the BLT. See, it's these little things. It's those basic needs that should remind us that God is always faithful. You feel like you've been abandoned by God as you lay in bed under the roof in a rainstorm? Don't despise those basic necessities. Don't forget that it's the faithfulness of God that, that gives you this food on your table in the morning, that gives you rent, money to pay rent or pay your mortgage. He is always faithful, even when it doesn't feel like it. If you have a roof over your head, if you have food on your table, never forget his faithfulness. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And all these things is referring to the basic necessities of life. If you're a member of a Bible-believing church, you will never go hungry, and you will never have a you will never not have a roof over your head. This is how God has instituted the church. You see that in the book of Acts, where Paul is taking a collection from all of Asia Minor, all throughout the churches, to help the church in Jerusalem who is who are in a famine and they're struggling with the basic necessities of their lives. James says that if a believer says he he has no food or has no, no clothing, that it would be an abomination for a church to, to, to say to them, well, we're all going to pray for you. I, I hope everything goes, goes okay. Paul gives instructions for widows in First Timothy in need. If there are poor widows in the church, we, we take care of you. This is how God proves his faithfulness to the church. God is faithful. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, joined with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Verses 21 through 26 have presented the reality that God will never forsake you. All those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere until the end. But 
just who is a Christian? How do I know I am, I am truly born again so that I have assurance that God will keep me until the end? How do I, how do I know if my conversion was, was, was more than just some emotional experience I had years ago? Well, we get the answer in verses 27 through 29. His people are those who never forsake God. God will never forsake his people, point number one, and his people are those who never forsake God. God never forsakes his own, and his people never forsake God. Are you the kind of person God is faithful to? Then David says in verse 27, depart from evil and do good. The Bible does not teach that if you can be secure in your salvation no matter how much you fall into sin and unfaithfulness. Yes, it's true that we sin. Yes, we fall into grievous sin. We can backslide for periods of time. But it is also true that a true believer cannot abandon himself to sin. He cannot come under the dominion of sin. He cannot be guilty of certain kinds of unfaithfulness. You cannot be secure in your salvation totally irrespective of a life of sin and unfaithfulness. Faith in Christ is always connected to holiness and obedience. It is never right to think of your faith as disconnected from good works and practical righteousness. Those who God keeps to the very end and depart from evil and do good until the very end. And that begins with a, a present day trust in Christ for salvation. You should ask yourself, today, do I have a trust in Christ to forgive my sin? Today, do I believe that if I were to die, he would take me without blame into heaven forever? You 
was over a period of years. Does your life build up other people around you, or does your life constantly discourage people around you? Are you always tearing them down? What kind of influence, what kind of impact do you make in the lives of people closest to you? Is your wife godlier now than when you first met her? Or is she less godly? Is she more miserable because of you? This is the result of this kind of righteous life is verse 27. Depart from evil into good, so you will dwell forever. We're saved by faith alone in God's grace alone. The evidence of our faith is a growing righteousness until the end. And the result is in verses 28 29. For Yahweh loves justice. He loves when his people depart from evil and do good. He delights in that, that, that way of living. And it's these people he will not forsake. He will not, verse 28, he will not forsake his holy one. They're holy. It's his holy ones that are kept forever. The seed of the wicked will be cut off. If you're wicked, there's a 99% chance you're thinking about being wicked. Then he ends this section of the psalm with verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Wait a minute. Isn't David Israel's greatest king? Doesn't he have all of the land as he writes this psalm? He does. But he knows that Israel is still under threat by rival nations. He looks at his grandson Rehoboam and he has some he has some doubts. He's like, I think this, I think my grandson is gonna mess everything up. Exile to Assyria, Assyria, exile to Babylon. Babylon is still in the future from David's vantage point. Israel will be kicked out of the land in about 500 years from when this song was penned. And even when they come back, they can never really call it their own because some superpower eventually conquers them as an occupying enemy force. When David says over and over in Psalm 37 that, that, that God's people will inherit the land, he means that they will inherit the land, verse 29, forever. He means when they inherit the land permanently, when they will never have to worry about their enemies again. That's the future he is making a promise to Israel to. Jesus comes to earth about a thousand years later after Psalm 37 was written. And he goes up to a mountain to preach a sermon in Matthew chapter 5. Known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's in this sermon where he quotes Psalm 37. Go to Matthew 5 again. Matthew 5, 5. And they're saying, Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus fellow? All the Israelites on the mountain, they're curious, curious about him. 
And he says in Matthew 5, 5, quoting Psalm 37, using the Septuagint as the translation, he says, Blessed are the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. In other words, he's saying, hey, I am going to give you the land that God promised Abraham. I am the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. Remember Psalm 37, guys? I am here to fulfill what David promised you. Matthew anticipates this land promised in Matthew 5, in Matthew chapter 2. Look at Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, 20 and 21, Matthew is recording and describing the, the episode of Joseph and Mary returning to Israel. And this is what he says in, in, in verse 20. Get up, take the child and his mother. God is talking to Joseph. Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, where those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. See, when, when Matthew wrote, wrote this book, Israel was under Roman occupation. Nobody that mattered ever called the land of Israel the land of Israel. The Romans on maps designated this Jewish territory with the Latin word Palestina. And but Matthew, he makes this bold statement in chapter 2 that the land belongs to Israel. Because God promised Abraham that land, because David reaffirmed that promise in Psalm 37, and because Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount that the lowly should be, shall inherit the land. We'll have to make five. But observe very closely what Jesus says in Matthew 5 5. He says, Blessed are the lowly. The lowly shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. When Jesus said this, when Matthew wrote this, the land of Israel belonged to the mighty Roman Empire. But Jesus, Matthew 5 5, makes the radical claim that it'll, it will be the meek. It will be the lowly, not the mighty, not the strong. The outcast, the poor, they will inherit the land. Jesus is not advocating this armed rebellion. No, he is saying the lowly and meek who trust in the faithfulness of God will get what Abraham promised, what David Inheritance belong to those who trust in the faithfulness of God. When Jesus comes back and he gives Israel their land, we the church will be there and we're going to tell Israel, I told you so. David said it was so in Psalm 37. Jesus said it so in Matthew 5 5. And then for the next thousand years, we will sing, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, the mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, I see. Back to Psalm 37. Don't forget the last verse again. David says, the righteous will inherit the land, 
says that, he, he tells us the secret of living a full and abundant life. And the secret is this. Living a full and abundant life today is trusting that your full and abundant life comes tomorrow. And because that is true, you are then to be faithful Establish an eternal perspective and stand in the faithfulness.